You're listening to the Boise State Podcast from right here at Boise State University. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Brady Moore from the Office of Communications and Marketing, sitting down today with Professor Don Winnecki, who's developed a computer program he calls Anna that draws and paints autonomously. Don, can you tell us a little bit about what Anna exactly is? Well, Anna is a software program that I wrote in a language called Common Lisp. That's the programming language. And the language is commonly, there's a little, I guess, unintended pun there, it's used uh, in artificial intelligence research. But there's no intention for Anna to become artificially intelligent. Anna is a tool for me to uh, introspect and analyze what I go through when I'm trying to make an image that has some certain qualities. And right now, Anna does kind of generic skyscapes. Um, And the reason why it shows skyscapes is because you don't have to be incredibly precise to produce something that approximates a cloudscape, mountains in the background, a little bit of horizon, things like that. So I started with something that I knew I could make images of without having to be an expert programmer in any other thing. And I don't, I don't program Anna to make an image. I don't tell it to put color here and put a mark there and so on. I, I programmed it with rules that uh, approximate what I think of when I'm trying to create a skyscape. You know, I look at the sky and I say, well, let's see, uh, at a certain time of the day, the horizon has a bit of more light, more whiteness than does apogee up at the top, about 180 degrees. And it gets a little bit deeper blue if it's a blue day going up. So if, it, if it's going to make a clear sky painting, then put a little bit more blue toward this end of the thing. I don't tell it how much blue, just say a little bit more blue and mix it in this way to make a warmer blue, mix it this way to make a cooler blue. So you get something that's a little bit more wintry looking or summery looking. And I've I've had to look at sky a lot to do this and figure out what am I actually looking at here so that I can put it into the language of a computer program. And the same sort of thing with clouds. There's many different kinds of clouds and I've been an admirer of clouds for a long, long time. But when I want to draw or paint a fluffy cumulus cloud, what does it look like? There's kind of billowy, bulbous things in it. And if it's a very dense cloud, it's dark underneath because it's blocking the light. If it's a, if it's a puffy, fluffy cloud, it's not so dark underneath. If it's on the horizon and it's coming up over some mountains, well, it tends to have a different character. So how do you, how do you render those things? And sure, you can you can look at it and paint it with a brush or draw it with a with a, a pencil or pen. But to think of it in a more generic way, so that you can render it through computer code, is a whole different thing. And it forced me to really think more differently and hard about what I do when I'm just looking at something and making an image with pencil or brush and paint. Um, so it, was a, it is a tool, has been a tool, for me to analyze what I go through. So I better understand what image making is. I suppose I should step back and, and say, 
I've always had an innate skill at drawing and painting. I never took art classes before I came here uh, as a faculty member. Um, but I worked as an illustrator when I was much younger and made a pretty good living at it. I was, I was able to do things with pencil and pen and airbrush and watercolor and whatnot without ever having been taught. And it got a little bit weird wondering, how is it that I can do this without any explicit intellectual foundation? And Anna gave me a vehicle to start to probe into that sort of a thing. Okay. And so, it's, what drew you to create this program? What, in, like, what inspired you, I guess, um, to create Anna? There, there is an artist, now deceased, Harold Cohen, uh, who was in San Diego for a long, long time, taught it at a school there, uh, who was a very well-known British artist in the 70s. And he, he kind of dropped out of the art world. He was a world-famous artist at the time, an abstract painter, who in meeting people in San Diego and around California got caught up in some of the early artificial intelligence movement and got curious about that and, and programmed a computer he called, a, pro, a program he called Aaron uh, to begin to make abstract images. And his goal was to, to try to figure out what is the minimal uh, criteria of a thing that you could call a drawing. And he investigated cave paintings and a lot of other mark making, you know, the, the, the scribbles that kids make and things like that. And he used what he had learned from people in, in uh, computer science at the time to start building Aaron. And he, he developed it up until just last year when he died. And it, it got to the point where he could do very beautiful renderings of, of imaginary foliage and, and abstract people. Um, and I had for a long time admired what he did there and how he did it. And uh, as I got a little bit more fluent with painting with a brush after some classes here with our art faculty, uh, I got a little cocky, I think, and said, well, okay, I can do this. I know I can do this, and I'm getting kind of bored with being able to make realistic images with, with a paintbrush and paint. What else is there out there? And I thought, well, I can start to investigate why it is, how it is, what it is I do when I make these images without a whole lot of drama, without a whole lot of what to me would seem like strong effort. So Harold Cohen was part of the motivation, but also reaching a point in, in artistic painting and drawing where I kind of felt a little bit bored and I, need, I needed something new. Yeah, so your work is at this sort of really interesting intersection of like art and science. Mm -hmm. And so is your background, you, you mentioned that you worked as an illustrator, mm -hmm. but do you have a technical background as well? I, I, I'll call myself uh, a wannabe technician and technologist. I've always gravitated toward devices. As a kid, I was always taking apart something. And unlike most, actually putting it back together 
uh, and understood the clocks and the mouse traps and the back of the refrigerator and the radio. I actually got radios running again. Like, how in the world do you do that without knowing radio technology? Um, I've always had kind of a, a, a lean in that direction. In fact, my undergraduate degree was uh, what they called at the time industrial arts education. I was going to be a shop teacher in high school. I never ended up doing that. But that was you know, maybe the, a point along the way of, of being or having an affinity to technology and technical things. I have to say, though, that I grew up in a physical world where you manipulated machines with your hands and with physical tools. That still goes on today, but to a large extent, what happens in technology education and pre-engineering in high schools is algorithmic. It's, it, it's that intermediary of code that students these days have to master, that, and that's the new uh, industrial arts. Instead of necessarily physical manipulation, it's now algorithmic manipulation and everything through the code system. And it was, it was a difficult switch for me to make that, but I taught myself the language, I taught myself several programming languages depending on various needs along the way. Um, and it was, a, it, it was a, a thing that was both frustrating but energizing at the same time. You know, how can I do this? Um, so yeah, I've always been a, a techie kind of a guy without claiming to be an engineer or a scientist of some way. Yeah, yes, I mean, so do you, do you claim to be an artist now then? That's, that's a difficult question to ask. Some of my friends in the art faculty say, you think like an artist, therefore you are one. The kind of questions I would ask, the kind of things I would do, the images I would make. So they, they kind of attributed that to me. And I think that's as far as I can go. I don't think being an artist is something you can claim for yourself. I think it's something that others have to give you. So if they say so, I guess in some way I am. Although I'm certainly not trying to make a living at it. It's a, to me, it's a tool to think with. And, and that's a really important concept for me, to develop tools that help me more intricately uh, inquire and learn. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really... So, Anna, is that art or is that science? Or is it somewhere in between? Well, I mean, art does have a scientific quality. If you go back to Da Vinci... There was, no, there was no boundary between art and what was then uh, techne, techne, technology. Um, and I think we've lost something by drawing a line between them, by making a big barrier between art and science, because scientists think creatively. They think in ways that haven't been thought before. And so do artists. Now, the, the typical target of their thought and their action may be different, but uh, the way of getting there is very similar. Some of the work on, in psychology on what's called flow, starting with uh, uh, a psychologist then at the University of Chicago, uh, his name is Csikszentmihalyi, studied what it takes to really engage in that kind of activity. And, and he didn't draw very firm boundaries between art and science. He said these people think very much the same, even if the target of their activity was different. 
Um, and so I'll say, you decide what it is, art or science. But I won't, I won't try to push you in either direction. Yeah. yeah, that's a fascinating concept, and it's definitely something that over the years there's kind of people have drawn that line and, and separated those two fields. Yeah, I think it's really to our detriment that we do that. Yeah. When people say creative, I'm not sure what they mean anymore. Right. To me, creativity is, is actually a heavily bounded process. You can't be created creative unless there are already rules that you're trying to not follow or follow in different ways. So you have to have boundaries before you can be creative. It's not just, you know, splashing paint somewhere or twisting a screwdriver on a machine a certain way. You've got to have rules to be creative. But at the same time, I think real scientists, real technologists, and real artists understand that. Yeah. So what do you see for the future of Anna? Um, are you making, are you continually making improvements? Are you continually working on the, on the code? Or, or what, do you, what do you hope to achieve? Well, the, I have a long list of things to accomplish in Anna. And for a while I've been working on trying to make the code more, um, more consistent with what a, a computer scientist would expect the use of data structures, the way the data structures are interrogated. And the goal there was try to, to better understand how that side of the world thinks. Even while I was trying to use the data and use the processing that the program implemented to do artistic things, uh, or image things, I guess. Um, the the, the goal was to, or is, to make Anna something that a computer scientist could look at and say, I get it, and something that an artist could look at and say, I get it. So it, it would be a, a way maybe that we could start opening a discussion between people who think in a very pointy-headed technical way and people who think in a more pointy-headed critical artistic way. Uh, so what you see in Anna hasn't really changed very much, but what's happening in the code is changing. And it, it, I'm getting a little bored with that now, so I need to start breaking things and, and doing more adventurous things with the image. And in fact, Anna allows me to do that. I can get more stereotypically technically geeky or more stereotypically technically artistic depending on what I'm interested in the moment and that's neat because I get bored kind of fast and if I don't allow myself that that differentiation that way of going different ways I think I would probably just abandon the whole project because it's not easy it's a, it's a, it's a hard thing to think into your process, and it's a hard thing to think of uh, how to make images through nothing but code. And the machine is autonomous, I just tell it to go, and it takes a palette of colors and makes an image. And the next image it creates is going to be very different, it might be a whole different color palette, it might be reds instead of blues, or it might be warm instead of cool, and it creates a very different feel, depending on a couple of very 
basic decisions that it makes based on randoms in the very beginning of the code. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's an intellectual play. So is it, does the software produce a physical image or a digital image that then would be printed or um, how does it actually produce the image? Um, in, in common Lisp, there's actually no functionality for drawing, for making lines. So I had to find an add-on package for common Lisp and then use Lisp to talk to that package. What it does is it really and only draws lines. It draws fat lines, it draws skinny lines, it draws lines of different color, the color may be more opaque or more transparent. Um, but what it actually does is it, it renders everything into a PDF file. So it's an image that's a PDF. And the image may be 20 feet wide in physical dimension if you print it, or maybe a couple of inches wide. It's just a file, and Anna just produces the PDF file. The images that were on display at the Student Union Gallery two years ago when I had the show with Anna were printed by a, a, a big plotter in the art department that they use in the photo lab to make big photographs. It's a big 36-inch, looks like an a, um, inkjet printer, but it's 36 inches wide. And, and it prints on rolls of paper. Um, and what, the, what they actually have to do is, is fracture the PDF file into another form so that it talks to the printer. But they, they go through a software layer of, of basically disassembling the PDF into pure vector format. It's a mathematical format that the printer can understand. So Anna doesn't ever make a physical image. Making the physical image requires another technical process that happens after Anna, and it just makes the PDF file that then has to be processed by the printer. Okay. That's interesting. So, do you have any plans to incorporate make Anna producing those physical images in the future? Make it sort of a one-stop shop thing? Um, no, there, there isn't plans for that. Um, and the reason why is because I like having the real, uh, what's the, what, what, an unpolished machine that I can look into and that forces me to think in, in different ways. I, I just don't want to push a button and have it produce everything from start to finish. To me, that's, and, and then maybe this is part of the Luddite in me, that's a dangerous step to make. I don't want to replace an artist. I always want a human to be necessary in the process. So there will always be that that maybe awkward kind of handoff to ensure that the human is there to say, I like this image, let's print this one. Ooh, let's never show that one to anybody. <laughs> it makes it it makes bad ones more frequently than it makes good ones. Yeah. So how many how many images would would you say she or Anna has? Because <laughs> she is. It just it just slips out with the name. But how many images do you have you produced with Anna? Actual physical prints, mm, probably two hundred. Okay. Uh, and many of those are at, at much smaller size than is the actual image. You can print it at any size you want. In fact, the image that's on the third floor of the College of Engineering right now, the the real 
uh, file. The, the size of that image is, is maybe 16 inches tall by 40 inches wide. The print that I had made is 12 feet wide and 8 feet tall, so it's been actually compressed in some ways too uh, to create a different effect with it. So I, I could print it any size you want, really. Yeah. Um, the, the, the fact that there are several, maybe even several tens of thousands of PDF files that I produce with it is part of the uh, auditing process that I have to go through. I like this one, I don't like this one. This shows a certain feature that I admire, that I want other people to see. This one shows something that really looks icky to me, so I'm never going to show it to anybody. And sometimes, the, actually, the mistakes turn out to be the most interesting images, uh, which I think is something that most artists would admit to. You create the most exciting product when you're a bit out of control, when you're, when you're not totally able to control what's going on with the brush or pencil or whatever mark-making device you have or, or tool you have. So there's probably several tens of thousands of files on my hard drive, but only a couple of hundred have actually been released into the wild, so to speak. Yeah. And so when you tell the program to create an image, is it pretty much instantaneous? Does it take the... I mean, it, it's not like create, creating a painting, which I assume could take weeks or months, but how, how fast is the actual process? When I say go, it'll, it'll complete... A PDF file in under 10 seconds. Uh, it's, if it's a much bigger file, if the, the, if the physical size of the image is going to be 20 feet wide, then it's just going to take longer for it to save the, the file, just because it's a bigger file. But actually to finish and start saving the image is going to take less than 10 seconds, so it's doing its job real fast. Yeah. Which allows you to have that many different images you said tens of thousands, so... Yeah, and I, I, can, I can send the, the output to a PDF file, at which point I don't see it making it. Or I can send it to the screen, so I can see what it's doing along the way. And I've probably made several million images to the screen to help me audit what that last edit in the code did. Uh, you know, tweaking with the color, trying to make something warmer or cooler by mixing different colors in. And I can see it on the screen. Uh, when I say that, I want to, it reminded me of something. Right now, the colors that appear on the screen are much more brilliant and I think attractive and striking than the printer is able to output. I don't think that's a problem with the printer. I think it's a problem with uh, the fact that I have to, you have to go through this intermediary software step of disassembling the PDF file into a format the printer wants. That's something that I want to tinker with too at some point, is how to make the image pretty on the screen and also striking as a printed output. So we'd actually have to enhance or punch up the, the intensity of the colors at that, at that point, the mechanical uh, manual point. God, it's, a, it's, it's a really interesting idea and concept. And so now that the other artists that you mentioned that had passed away, are you pretty much the only person you know of doing this kind of work? I don't think I am. I don't, I'm, I'm actually not out there looking for other people doing this. Um, most 
the, the, the computer images that I've seen are what look like to me uh, generated by doing maths, by doing graphic maths, as opposed to trying to make the program comply with the artist's way of thinking. And that's what I'm trying to do. So it, I, I doubt I'm the only one doing that, but I don't know of anybody else doing it at this point. Uh, computers are a very plastic device, and I think we should let people do all the things they want to do with that stuff to their own level of interest and, and excitement. So uh, while I don't know of anybody else, it wouldn't surprise me if there are. By the way, I want to say, based on your attributing gender to Anna, Anna is an acronym that stands for Anna is not Aaron, with reference to Harold Cohen's software. And it's actually a recursive algorithm, too. Anna is not Aaron, so the word Anna is part of the A in the acronym. So it just it recursively spirals into itself, which is a computational concept, recursion. And it never ends. And I suspect that the, the things that could be done with Anna would, could never end either. Yeah. 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 So it's I could there are so many different things that could be done with it. It's just it's a really interesting concept. Mm. It's really it's it's fascinating. If if we're to say that there's an art in it, the images are a way for people to get into it, I think. But to me the art is actually the code. And and even before the code, it's it's the mental process, the intellectual process to translate in some way, maybe transmogrify what I think of or what I do innately when I'm drawing and painting and the intellectual process of self-critique as you go uh, into code. I think that's, that's what makes an artist, is the way of thinking, as opposed to the images or artifacts or something produced. Um, and, and so opportunities like this, where I get to talk to you about it, are, are maybe my only opportunity to make that appeal that the art is, I think, actually invisible, but essential. The artistry comes before the artifact.